Hi everyone, it's Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival with just myself and James and our special guest, Marwin from Silver Green Classics, or is it? It's Silver Green Classics from Germany. Yeah. Yes, I got it right. <laughs> there you go. It's the new branding. It's got to sink in my brain. So anyway. Uh, the last time, I think in the, we, we met the last time in the pre-corona time. Uh, so uh, at that time, we were still Photo Classic International, but we are now further. It's now Silver Grain Classics. Okay, so we're really rambling with this intro. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about Leica. Well, actually, Leica M-mount rangefinders. Everyone wants, well, <laughs> you're gonna really love one or not yes which camp are you in yeah it depends which camp you're in those who love them really love them those who don't well yeah they have their opinions and that's okay so today we got marwan from silver green classics who is a big leica fan and let's get the show on the road Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. And we're back. So Marwan, James, and me, Bill Smith, we're going to be talking all things Leica today, or at least the M-mount Leica. We'll be getting to the R-mount next time. So what was Leica up to? They had the Barnack rangefinder, which they originally introduced, oh, early part of the 20th century. I'd say after World War I is, it was a revolutionary that you can have a handheld 35 millimeter camera that is extremely portable. Cause up until then, the most portable camera would have probably been a twin lens reflex. Or then from there, it would have been a bellows camera. Leica changed everything. So they ran with the screw mount, M39 mount for decades, right into through the Second World War, up until the early 1950s. But you now the Barnack Leicas did have a few Achilles heels, namely the minuscule viewfinder and rangefinder, which were separate. You had two shutter speed dials, one for the higher speeds and one for the lower speeds on the front of the camera. And of course, the uh, solid back, and you had to bottom load which you still had to do with the M-mount, but it wasn't quite so fussy. You could probably get a nervous breakdown if you're not used to bottom loading a Barnack Leica, but that's okay. Leica had a solution. They had a solution for a lot of things. They came up with a replacement for the 3F and um, it was the Leica M3. It was introduced in 1954. The M3 was the great leap forward for Ernst Leitzen Company. They went to a bayonet mount, which is now ubiquitously known as the M mount, which is you've got third-party lenses available for that via uh, Voigtlander and Zeiss. And you can find a few other odd brands like Konica, Hexar, and Minolta as well. But we're, we're not going to go into that today. So and the, big, the biggest leap forward with this camera, this particular camera, was a single unifying rangefinder, a big bright one. So you don't have to squint and then look to the second one to compose your image. No, it was all in one. And that was one of the big leap forwards. Two, it had frame lines for 50 millimeter, 90 millimeter and 135 millimeter lenses. So for the Elmar 
and Sumicron, and I think originally Sumitar lens, which soon became the Sunilux a few short years later, plus the uh, 90 millimeter Sumicron and Elmerit lenses and uh, F4 Elmar collapsible, which is oddly enough a sleeper lens in its own right. Uh, I think a lot of people tend not to uh, look at that one, but it's a really cool lens. And of course, you had the 135 hectare lens, which is sort of a bit of the redheaded stepchild, and you can find those easily. So the M3 was a bottom loader camera. And like, sort of like the old Barnax, but like uh, introduced to sort of flip up rear door so you can sort of guide the film across and get it, make sure it gets onto the sprockets properly. And that was the big leap forward, which photographers were eternally grateful. So the original M3, it came with a double stroke film advance. And that was available up until roughly uh, the serial number for that. And again, they kept meticulous notes. So you're looking at, oh my God, up to about, I think it was um, 1957. The whole philosophy behind the double stroke was Leica wasn't sure that a sing the torque from a single stroke film advance would maybe tear the film. And they realized yeah, that wasn't the case. So they moved to a single stroke. And that same year, they also uh, did a modification with the film speeds. In the early Leica M3s, pre-1957, they came with what's known as the scientific click stops, which meant that it was bulb one half a second, a fifth of a second, a tenth of a second, one twenty-fifth of a second, a fiftieth of a second, a hundredth of a second, and of course, two fifty five hundred a thousand. So, Bill, among yeah. the uh, among the F threes, I think it's M3s. the singles. I think among M3s. yeah F threes. Yeah, I think the long uh, brand. <laughs> yeah. um the, uh, the among the m3s i think the more desirable one is the uh, single stroke right yes that's kind of the consensus that's and i believe i believe those are the ones with serial numbers 90 that start with 92 and greater is that correct marlon yeah. you probably know that well here in germany the the double stroke are more sought after than the single oh interesting well, I don't think it's a desire. It depends. It's people's preference. Like I've, I've been so used to the single a double stroke on my M3. It's like I, I borrowed my brother's M2 and I, it just felt a little strange. But on my M4 too, it was like. The stroke gives you more this war photographer feeling because ah, he's yeah. doing two strokes. And, right. and then I think that's one of the, I don't think that it's really quicker uh, or faster to do it in double stroke because some people say that they are quicker by doing double stroke. Well, hmm. I have a single stroke M3 uh, and I think that's more convenient to be honest, <laughs> but that's my personal opinion. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing. I think the one thing that kind of does throw it off is when uh, getting back to the shutter speeds, they went to the geomet geom geometric speeds in uh, post 800 the, the cutoff is 854,000, which is the serial number. So above anything above 854, it became one second, a half second, a quarter second, an eighth of a second, 115th, 130th, 160th, 125th, and up. Oh, interesting. And, so it's the shutter speeds that change too? So are, are there a different set of shutter speeds on the single versus double stroke? All the all the double strokes will have the older scientific one with the ah, 150th, okay. 100th. It's like a, a tinge of a second. So right. with 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 C41 film, you're not going to notice the difference. 
And, you know, again, as Marwan pointed out, double stroke versus single stroke, it varies by market, but quite honestly, um, I'm content with mine. Um, and of course, if you're to getting to that serial number, it's a, the serial number, it's if you've got a serial number of 919,251, that's a double stroke unless modified. There were also modifications. There were also people, I think it's, that's very interesting about that. If you don't really know about your Leica, mm. if it is a modified uh, one or not, just send them an email or give them a call. Mm. Um, it is sometimes really interesting what they know about your camera. Mm -hmm. uh, I did that several times and uh, I had uh, one friend who wanted to buy a black Leica and um, we just gave a call to Leica and they said, well, this one was not delivered in black. So no. by the serial number, they just could tell that they got it back two or three times in the 50s for service and maintenance. Mm -hmm. It's interesting what kind of history they just can tell you about your camera. Oh, I know, um, and I'll be getting, I'll be getting to the colors uh, in a little bit. Yeah, and it's like, uh, you know, it, it, with color with Leica, it came and it, it basically it was sold chrome only. There were only 150 like M3s that came in black paint from the factory. Mm -hmm. You, if if you had sort of what I would call a beater Leica M3, and you say, hey, yeah, I'll get it refinished. I don't see a problem with that as long as you disclosed, yeah, it was refinished. As long as it's like tastefully black or gunmetal, I'm okay with that. Now, you know, and I think that's the thing when you are looking for an M3, you want some providence with your camera. Like if uh, you, know, you want to know where it's been, because these are not pen taxes. They are very precision uh, in instruments. And the camera, the M3 again was produced from roughly, you know, 1954 to 1967. Uh, one variant we do have to talk about is the MP, not to be confused, the later MP that was introduced in the early 21st century, or the digital MP, we're talking the original MP that only made, it was a, it was a stripped down M3, only 500 copies were made. It had the frame counter from the Leica M2. It had a like of it speed, uh, speed film advance on the bottom, and they were available in black and chrome. Now, to buy one of these MPs, uh, I think I last saw one at auction around half a million euros. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It, they don't come up too often and you can buy a, a, a condo in Toronto with one. <laughs> so, sorry, did I hear that correctly? There's two versions of the MP? Uh, yeah, chrome and black. Oh, okay. So, all right. Okay. So, we're, okay. There's not a different MP than the MP that we kind of know today then. Well, there's the 21st century MP that replaced the M6, but we can get to that later. Okay. Uh, it, it's, it gets, you know, what? Yeah, the, the, yeah today's MP, uh, you can basically... Uh, um, you can buy well, new. You, you need like eight mortgages to, uh, to get that thing, and then you've got to get it serviced regularly, so... Yeah, and the original one, you leave in a vault somewhere because, yeah. it, because it's your retirement plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which or is a the, shame. Or, or you have to be the Sultan of Brunei to buy one, I guess. Well, he has yeah. already a golden one. I think he always got the latest model in gold. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. Beautiful 6.2s and whatever. It's kind of <laughs> in gold. <laughs> so, <laughs> just, just, just Google Sultan of Brunei and yeah. Golden Leica. You'll find wow. a bunch of them. I think wow. that was his hobby. Well, 
as one does when one is the Sultan of Brunei, I suppose. <laughs> okay, so Leica in around the late 50s decided they wanted to open the market up a bit. They had, uh, they introduced the M2. Why they call it the M2? Ernst Lights, now Leica Solms will, will probably have an answer. So what's the difference between it and the M3? Uh, frame lines for starters, because the M3, you had 50, 90, 135. So if you wanted to use a wide angle lens, like say a 35 Summicron or uh, slightly slower, you'd need the special goggles. Otherwise, yeah. or you kind of do what I do. You just use the entire viewfinder and sort of guesstimate your composition that way. Well, that's one of the things with the M3 that always kind of irked me a little bit. I always thought it was revolutionary in terms of engineering design, given like the the time frame um, mm. uh, in which it was produced. It was pretty incredible, but not having thirty five millimeter frame lines was kind of an odd uh, decision. But uh, maybe at the time, uh, the thirty five millimeter uh, focal length was not quite as popular as say the fifty or the you know twenty one or twenty eight. But uh, I mean, yeah. I think the thirty five is probably the most sought after or more you know popular uh, focal length these days when it comes to rangefinder tuning yeah, yeah I think well, in the, the mid 50s there was a um, there was there were some revolutions in optical designs uh, mm. white angles were very difficult to design and mm. uh, um, Leica used the first time uh, as a camera manufacturer a computer that was mm. delivered by Konrad Suse um one of the one of the inventors of the computer and i think leica was one of the first companies using computers in order to design lenses so maybe that is one of the reasons why they just started a bit later with the 35 millimeter yeah and again but the, they're with leica they're always known for their 50s like especially the summicron which is like yeah. i have a type one on collapsible on my m3 and i just adore that lens now, granted, when you go faster to the 51.4 and you want a Sumilux, that's when you start, you know, pondering leasing out a kidney or something. Now, getting back to the M2, the M2 is revolutionary because they, with the introduction of 35 millimeter lenses into the, the product lineup, like it could introduce a camera with 35, 50, and 90. So what the M3 came with, it came with a point, I think a 0.92 uh, viewfinder. Whereas the M2 and later M4 <coughs> and onwards came with a 0.72 finder so they could make yeah. room for the uh, wider frame line. And of course, the M2 came with an external uh, film advance counter, which is very basic. You have to reset it by hand. And again, again, another irk of my, you know, my love-hate relationship with Leica. If I'm going to spend that kind of money, I want a meter in my camera, not on my camera. Well, yeah. And, and again, back in the 50s, they had the clip-on selenium yeah. meters. Which and, sadly and, it, and same thing to, with the M4 as well. It was the same kind of situation. You're spending Leica money. I mean, you know, Leica money is now a term, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, but if you want to really do a good metering till today, you should use an external light meter. That is true. Yeah. light meters yeah. are, even in the latest M Leica or Nikon or whatever, ever brand yeah um yeah an internal light meter is always a kind of uh, compromise that is true um, yeah but what you what you have to understand marwin is i'm a very lazy photographer <laughs> <laughs> which is showed for james leans on his 
It's an Icon F6. It's matrix metering. A lot. Yes, indeed. It's just the equivalent of his handy walker. Exactly. I'm an old, crusty old man now. I, I, I don't have time for this. So, okay. <laughs> and duly noted. But yeah, the M2, and it's funny because it's like you've got your fans who love the M3, which I'm one, and then you've got other people that love the M2. And cosmetically, the M2 sort of carried forward into the M4, the M42, and into the M4P, and so forth and so on. At the same time, also Leica introduced the M1, which had no rangefinder in it. It was strictly like a zone focus uh, camera. Very it was scary. mostly attached to microscopes, telescopes, or um, also for scientific photography. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And I know a few pe people that do shoot super wide and, and, and just use an external viewfinder on it. Um, you know, uh, it's an interesting little camera. So moving forward into the 60s, the M3, the M2, they, they were made up until 1967 and was replaced by the M4. There are slight, again, the M4 had the same sort of... Uh, frame lines as the m2 35 50 90 but introduced speed loading which could have been offered as sort of a i believe a factory retrofit with some m2s marwin um i do not know that to be honest um uh, maybe you know more than i do i can't say anything about that <laughs> uh, i will leave that for our studio audience please contact us and, and uh uh, you know, via social and, and, and clarify. So what was the difference between the M4 and the M2? The M4 dispensed with the take-up spool, which if you lost the take-up spool these days, you start crying uncontrollably because you're going to be bidding against a bunch of other Leica fanboys on eBay for a replacement one. And that will cost you the equivalent of, I don't know, an Icon F2 <laughs> these days, which is a shame. So the M4 came with a speed load, so you didn't, it dispensed with that. Now, it takes a little bit of a learning curve to get it right, but once you do, it's almost second nature. And that speed loader was basically uh, standard throughout the Leica line going for, and all their uh, film rangefinders going forward to this day with the MP and the MA. So the M4 was made up until from 67 to, I want to say, what, about 1972 when the M4 uh, the M5 came out, aka the, the redheaded stepchild that nearly tanked Leica. <laughs> yeah, I think then the M5 came out. It used the CDS. Um, yeah, well, that that was the built-in uh, meter that light James mirror. Was yeah. yeah, was lusting. And the next after. thing is you have to see that in the early 70s, the rangefinder were kind of an, a dying species. Well, that is yeah. very thing. true. Yeah. Everybody was already on, on, on SLRs. And I think um, the M3, that was the problem of the M3 and the M2. They were too good. So uh, especially during the Vietnam War, a lot of photographers used the M3. They loved it. And uh, parallel to that, the Japanese, because they couldn't compete with um, their rangefinders, with the German rangefinders, they just improved more and more the 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 um, SLRs. SLRs. Well, again, I, we did a special episode of the Nikon F. Uh, and and that was definitely that, that, that was, was the, the big mistake. Like I didn't follow up with that. They just were ten years too late with the SLR. Uh, we'll be talking about that next next episode. <laughs> 
yeah, so Leica had perfection in their hands and introduced this new M5, which wasn't well loved because it didn't look like an M2, an M3, or even the M4. And it was a sales, I guess you could say it was a sales dud. And oddly enough, only starting to get appreciated now. My brother picked up an M5. He's taking it with him on vacation today to Western Canada. He's going to the West Coast. So he's saying, yep, I'm rocking the uh, 35 and the 90 millimeter lens on that camera mm -hmm. and he's uh he he's 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 happy and and he said the ergonomics are or like it like it did their homework with the camera it just didn't look like the m mount rangefinder the fans wanted it's and not really it was, uh, a very beautiful design or maybe nowadays well, I, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to be polite. It, yeah, it's fugly. <laughs> As we say in English, it's fugly. And you can figure out what that means. You know, it's... it's I, don't, I, don't, I don't mind the, the M5, to be quite honest. I, you know, I've I handled mean, it. And it's like, if I had the money, I'd grab one. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a little... <laughs> What, what, is today, what today for collectors is interesting that they yeah. sold so, so, so little of them. Now... Uh, now the amount of you you get uh, well literally a hundred thousands of M3s, but uh, just a few M5s. So yeah, a couple thousand, a couple thousand out there. Hmm. And that so, makes it very interesting for collectors all over yeah. the world. So, <laughs> well, yeah. uh, and that sort of dovetails with again with Leica's financial troubles in the seventies. Because again, if you're a working pro photographer, you're either running you're running with a Nikon F2 or a Canon F1. And if you're strictly on a budget, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe. Well, it's the SLR that disrupted yeah. the rangefinder market in well, well starting I, starting in the early '70s, but really hit its peak probably in the second half, two thirds of the '70s. And, yeah, and like it wouldn't let go of that uh, of the rangefinder design until the uh, SL1, I believe, right? Um, well, and, the like of. Well, well, the Leica Flex is an interesting animal, and we'll be talking about that in a later yeah. episode. But needless to say, the Leica SLR line wasn't selling great guns because the pricing was just off compared yeah. to like what the Japanese were doing. Yeah, and Leica got into a big heap of trouble because the M5 was, you know, it was a dog. Well, it was a sale. Let's be honest, it was a sales dog. So, in um, the late 1970s. Uh, they, they, they moved uh, rangefinder production to their Midland, Ontario plant, which was making lenses, brilliant lenses for both um, the SLR line and the uh, M-mount rangefinder line. And they revived the uh, M4, only they did some uh, modifications for, uh, they've changed from brass to zinc. Uh, <laughs> they've changed, they simplified the viewfinder a bit more. Uh, it's... Uh, also, and it's had, a, I think, a couple of plastic parts introduced to it. It's, again, another one of those sort of Leica models that doesn't get the respect it deserves because, A, it was made in Canada. B, it was sort of, yeah, it wasn't like the, like I said, again, it wasn't that. But, again, it looked like the Leicas of yore. Uh, it had the 35, 50, and 90 frame lines, and I think 135 as well. It sold for two years. Um if you're looking for a great, and this is actually one example you may want to look into because it's actually, uh, it, it's basically, I call it the, the camera that saved Leica's ass <laughs> from a sales standpoint because they actually sold and then they turn around and then from 1980 to 84, 
they introduced the M4P, which is basically an M4 II, but with the 28 millimeter and I think the 75 millimeter frame lines added in as well. So it's essentially an M6 without a meter. Especially the point yeah. that uh, the manufacturing in Canada and some people just, well, they, they, they prefer the made in Germany label, but uh, what people most of the time forget is that um, the production uh, facilities in Germany were from post-war uh, early 50s. Mm -hmm. um, and um, the production facilities in Canada were much more modern. So yeah. um, there is definitely no lack in quality because it just doesn't have the made in Germany label. Yeah. It's the same thing with Portugal. Later in the, in the, um, in the early oh. 70s, they shifted yeah. production to Portugal um, just to reduce costs. Yeah, for the, uh, mm -hmm. R, the R, early R3, R3 series. Yeah, also, also yes. a lot of M parts were produced uh, in Portugal. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah, wow. And, uh, and uh, so, but the quality did not really have an effect on quality. It's just, it's That's just the feeling to say, okay, it's not made in Germany and uh, mm -hmm. it's not in the same city where Oscar Barnack lived. Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's a lot of, uh, I think, the sort of collector appeal for Leica is, you you know, it's the the, the history and the heritage uh, at, at the time is what you're what you're buying. And then, you know, knowing that you're buying essentially a German design product uh, made in Canada, um, obviously, it has some drawbacks from a collector's uh, perspective, yeah. despite the quality of the actual product itself. Oh yeah, like I wouldn't turn down a, a Canadian-made Leica M at rangefinder no, at all. Hell no! If I, in fact, I'd, I'd seek one out because it's a bargain. Yeah, and you know, relative yeah. bargain in Leica speak, of course. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So 1984, what does Leica do? They move the M out rangefinder production back to Germany, <coughs> and with the M4P, they put in a light me a center weighted light meter that makes James so happy, <laughs> and they call it an M6 Classic. Hence, hence why I loved my M6 that I no longer have, but uh, yeah, you know. well, it's it's new owner is loving it, I guess, and yeah. they they ran with that camera from probably like the mid 1980s to I think around 96, 97 when they introduced the TTL, which is improved mm -hmm. metering. I they've they sort of tinkered a little bit with the shutter button, making it uh, a little more user friendly. And they ran with that up until I want to say 2001, 2002. Something like that, till the M7 came out. Yeah. Well, the MP and the M7 came out. Yeah. And the M7, uh, for those not familiar with uh, in Leica Land, uh, with Leica Land, it is aperture priority, which you know some photographers truly love. They can just sort of set your aperture and off you go, and you don't have to worry about anything. The mechanical camera they introduced, and this is sort of adds the slight confusion, they reintroduced the MP model name. And sort of base, if you look squint a little bit, it kind of sort of looks like the MP from the 1950s, but with the film counter from an M6 and the and and the, the solving the problems and with an improved viewfinder. So the M6 all the way down to the M42 was sort of like some people said there was flare in the viewfinder in certain light situations. The MP solved that. And they, I think the factory offered a retrofit for your older Leicas from the M4, the M42 mm -hmm. series all the way up. You can get your viewfinder retrofitted so you can don't have to deal with that. And the M7, I think was recently discontinued, I think what, a couple of years ago? 
Yeah, just two or three years ago. It's just, just not really a long time ago. Yeah, so they're still running with the MP. And of course, Leica uh, now being thoroughly deep into the digital uh, marketplace, they went out and did something even crazier. They introduced the MA. The MA is basically an MP without a light meter. And it looks a lot like, yep, you guessed it, an M3, both frame lines from 28 to 135. So it's kind of sort of almost full circle. Now, granted, if you want to buy an MA these days, I believe the body only is like five or six thousand US dollars. Lens only. Yeah. Lens sold separately. Yeah. <laughs> you can use the old one. <laughs> well, you know what? For me, I think like my. I, I believe the M6 was kind of the peak of the, or I guess the pinnacle or the, the just a perfect balance of, of Leica's history, uh, I think is all rolled up uh, into that camera. I think the shooting experience is kind of what um, sort of defines a Leica camera. Um, you know, and, and people, photographers that buy Leica for, photographic and image quality is really I think the M6 kind of defines what you want to get what you know what you want to get out of your images the most I suppose mm -hmm. um, you know like the like is they're expensive enough you know uh, but a regular sort of classic M6 relatively speaking at least you know before film photography's popularity kind of exploded in the last two or three years was a really good uh, a really good price point and you could get batteries for it at the drugstore two lr44s you know you can look in your pocket and probably find um <laughs> a, a couple uh you know just a really tough 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 built camera zinc alloy top um uh you know that was uh i think beefier and less prone to uh, dings and that sort of thing than than the uh, brass plates that were used before. Um, you know, I when I had mine like that thing, I would just abuse it. I'd use it in the rain. I'd use it in snowstorms. I'd use it in thirty degree heat, no problem at all. Clear viewfinder, quiet shutter. Um, you know, improved loading capability. Just a mm -hmm. really well well balanced uh, uh, camera. I think it, it was an excellent camera. Mine was, uh, was manufactured in Betzler. And, mm. um, I know there's, uh, another version I think that was made in Solms. Um, but, uh, other than I think the, uh, city of manufacture, really not too much difference between the two of them. I know the Betzler one had a little bit of a different meter circuit in it with a shorter cutoff time. Um, and uh, both of the like the little red lights inside the the lens cap, if they if they would go out if you leave your lens cap on, so at least you know that your lens cap is on. I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's helpful. <laughs> Which is helpful. Yeah, I I loved mine, um, and I say I, I loved it because of kind of the, everything that went along with Leica's history, and of course the the image quality. But as a photographer. I got to say that, uh, in all honesty, rangefinders. Um, I have to be in a particular mood to be to shoot effectively and to be happy shooting a rangefinder. I am again a very lazy photographer, and a fully, you know, kitted out modern meter Nikon F6 um, with a fast AFS lens, autofocus, everything, and I just have to compose and you know do a little bit of exposure compensation. That's a little bit up more at my alley, but not to disparage uh, Leica in any way. Um, I would recommend anyone looking for a Leica today, uh, a, a, an M, M series Leica, 
look at the M6 first would be my recommendation. Um, uh, if you're a collector, uh, you're probably going to be a little bit more of a purist. And then, you know, you're going to look at the M2s and the M3s, uh, MPs, M4s, things like that. But if you want something that like a perfect everyday shooter and you're into rangefinder shooting, I got to say M6 gets my vote every day. I, I'm kind of the, again, I'm the traditionalist because I got, again, the M3 and the M4 too. And if you're on a, sli- a, a bit more, again, with like, a, yeah, you probably want your inheritance in hand when you're going shopping because it will, the meter will, uh, the, the, the tally will, will go up pretty quick. And, uh, you know, the M3s are, you can find one probably eleven twelve hundred dollars Canadian now. Uh, that's what they sure. start at. Yeah. Um, and then the M42, about the same. Yeah. Uh, the M6 is now are over $2,000. Yeah. Like they yeah have, they've they're, crept up in price. They're, they're getting up there. But I'm curious, Marwin, from, I, I'm curious what the market for Leica in Germany is like and, and what the folks over there and like in Europe. Everywhere, it just goes up. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, things are getting, well, more and more difficult to get. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the amount of offers you get is huge. I mean, a lot of people, uh, you, have two, you have two situations. On one side, you have um, a lot of collectors that go getting older. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some of them pass away and the widow has a huge collection of like us. Just a few months ago, I was talking to, uh, we, we have one of our uh, writers from the inaugural issue. Uh, he works in the Leica store in Nuremberg. And he just told me that they got a collection. I think the value was um, three quarter of a million euro. Wow. Um, and they had Euros. Wow. all type. There was a collector had whatever Leica did, if it was a pencil or uh, or a, a handkerchief, <laughs> they just, they he just a... collected it. And they had the rarest things. And um, they just, and you find this more and more. But But on the other hand, everybody's jumping on it and everybody wants especially a Leica that was used by by a celebrity or whatever and then that makes the things not really cheaper and it still has that 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 the red dot and the Leica name is definitely something um that makes this camera really outstanding and when you just touch it immediately you just wind it and um i mean if you just take the m3 and just wind it it's just a wonderful feeling well, oh, the engineering, it's like you're feeling that, like, you know, if you, yeah. and you think about the the technology and the talent that it took to build something like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, given the time and what was available and like, you know. There just... were very good cameras at the time, uh, you know, for example, Feuchtländer had the prominent, which was, right. they had yeah. excellent lenses. Um, there were Kodak, Kodak in Germany, they did interesting SLR models. They were whatever you could get also also IHG in Dresden they had really really good cameras if you just put them next to each other they all were not really that handy there was always kind of a uh, it was kind of uh, awkward to use them but the Leica was just kind of so smooth ergonomically and yeah and on top of that extremely reliable till today yeah yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing you you want to make sure you get your if you do get a Leica M mount rangefinder you want to know what the service records are because you're going to have to budget a couple hundred dollars or a couple hundred euros depending where you are in the world and get an overhaul done. 
guess if you don't overhaul it, bad things can happen. Well, in particular, the MP, I believe, is notorious for needing regular uh the modern M- the modern yeah the modern yeah. mp for yeah. sure yeah which is sort of like you know then you're kind of left looking at they're going yep i can see why m6s are going up in value yeah. well it's like buying a lamborghini and not being able to change afford to change the oil so exactly so i'm kind of the champion for the mod, uh the more vintage like bodies James likes his M6. So, Marwin, where do you fall if you're giving? Well, I, I love the M3. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the 0.9 uh, yep. viewfinder. Mm-hmm. Um, I have um, an, an M6 too, but, um, uh, but the problem is the 0.7 finder is something that, that annoys me when I'm looking through it. It, it reduces the image because okay. it's made for 35. But um, that's what I like about the M3. You just look into it. And um, you have that, yeah, we just can have so, both eyes open. Yeah. And so Mar- Marwin, I, I, could, you, could you, do you have sort of a simplified way of explaining the different uh, magnifications in the viewfinders and what you should be, you know, what the characteristics well, of each are, one would be? Things. There are two things that you have in a rangefinder. One is the, um, what, one is the base that, um, that you have in order to, to focus, which is this, this small little square mm-hmm. that you have to put that the images are matching. Now that describes the the precision of the um, of the uh, of the rangefinder system, but on the other hand, this zero point nine viewfinder is like you have your natural view, and, and it, that is one. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So what you see is one, and if you just have mm-hmm. your have your viewfinder to your eye, it reduces it a bit, and um, zero point seven reduces it much more so that you have that 35 millimeter view. Right. In the uh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And if, you're so shooting, and if you're shooting super wide, then you got 0.58. Exactly. Exactly. So that depends really what kind of lenses you are preferring. Mm-hmm. Now, if someone does street photography um, and, and that was one of the points where, for example, people like only Cartier Besson, what they were doing was they were just, just, having their eye open and they could see with your with their with their left eye what's going on behind them and on the right eye they had the Leica and they were just waiting until people were passing their left eye so uh, then they went into the into the viewfinder and then they could do their snapshot um, and that was a kind of way of using the um, the rangefinder and that's one of the points where rangefinders really have an advantage over SLRs right and mm-hmm. um, you can use them very quick and they are extremely silent um, yeah. and yeah well some people like me I love the 09 mm-hmm. of you find others the 07 I think mean, but that, I think so, there is no right or wrong you know? right no so if I, you're say if you're shooting say primarily 50 millimeter focal length, something closer to one, like a 0.9, would probably be more uh, advantageous. And then if you're say shooting a lot of 35 millimeter focal length, like a 0.7, and then why yeah, you yes. go 0.58 then? Okay. Yeah. If you so, if you are definitely knowing that you will later on use the 35 millimeter, just then go for an M2 or for an M6. Okay. That is, or even an M4. Yeah, or an M4. That's what I said. Yeah. yeah, especially if you are looking really more for the 35 millimeter view, yeah. then that's exactly the thing you should do. Um, but well, that's great because I think that that simplifies it. I think because in my experience, there's a lot of confusion out there about the different mm-hmm. um, magnification factors of the viewfinders, 
And I think that really um, is a is a good rule of thumb to remember if someone's you know looking for uh, to purchase a Leica. One, so. one big disadvantage of rangefinders is, for example, you can't really use tele lenses. Or um, macro. Nobody would put a, a 300 millimeter 2.8 in front of a rangefinder. And uh, especially if you love telelenses, you like 200 millimeters and more uh, for whatever photography you want to do, rangefinder is definitely not the right system for you. So everything right. between 35 and let's say 135 millimeter, or best 90 millimeter is, 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 is perfect for this, this type of cameras. Okay. So I think we've probably given people enough gas or <laughs> yes, scared them away or scared them away from the, yeah, yeah. Uh, the big thing with Leicas, bring money, lots of it. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. That's maybe the good yes. thing that you can't buy whatever you want because you have not enough of it. Okay, so it's time to wrap this episode up because we got we got the we have to be careful when you measure out our doses of gas. It's Bill Smith the Classic Camera <laughs> Revival. Yeah, stay cool, shoot tons of film. Uh, it's James Lee. Um, I don't know. Get out there, shoot some film, go spend some money, go get yourself a lovely uh, M6 or blow your brains out on an MP. And Marwan? Well, um, yeah, shoot film, support your local camera dealer <laughs> and put uh, films from manufacturers like Kodak, Adox, Foma, Ilford into your camera. Don't use old films. Use new and fresh film. You know exactly. it. Exactly. And stay tuned for next month where we're going to come back and talk more like uh, this time, our series. Mm-hmm.